fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the first podcast for February and back to our normal format. Here's what's coming up in this week's show. This is how the idea came up with not just becoming aware of how you're spending your time, but actually how can I improve it? That's Manuel Bruschi, the founder of Timeula.com. He's the first of four productivity experts that I'm going to be interviewing throughout February, and you can hear his interview later on in the show. We're also going to be talking today about a free marketing resource. It's an amazing Facebook group with more than 1,000 MSPs already inside. I'll tell you how to join that group later on. We're going to talk about why you should be doing one-to-ones with most of your staff, and I'll give you a format for those one-to-ones to make it really productive for you. And we're going to get a book recommendation from Andrew Wallace of Smileback. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. If you go back about seven years or so, and back then I had a different business, and around about seven years ago, I had about 15 staff as well, which was quite interesting. And I didn't go into the business very often. I used to go in just on Thursdays, but I was still running the business. So I was running it from a separate office so I could hide away from my staff and get things done. But on Thursdays, or angry Thursdays as I came to know them, I'd go into the office where all the staff were, and I'd typically do one-to-ones, and I'd I'd talk to my team and just generally make sure that the ship was going in the right direction and look for ways to make the ship go faster. And I remember distinctly one particular Thursday. It was around about four, maybe six months before I decided to put the business up for sale. And the business was doing very well. It was almost completely systemized at that point. So I wasn't needed to be there. I was an addition. You know, I had the choice to to go in there and, and, and keep things going, but there were no actual specific jobs that I had to do in order for the business to thrive on a daily basis. But that particular Thursday I went in, it sticks in my mind because I was just annoyed all day. I remember being annoyed on the drive in because it was about an hour from my home. I remember being annoyed when I got there. I was just generally annoyed all day. And the reason I was annoyed was because I had a series of things that I had to do. Now, you have to understand that I am an incredibly organized person. I use a piece of software called Todoist, which keeps me on track for all the things that I need to do every day. And that's seven days a week, by the way. You know, if I need to do a job in my house, it's there in the Sunday folder and it sat there in Todoist waiting for me to look at it. It's literally the first piece of software that I look at every single day on my phone. And I've been like that for years. And one of the downsides of being very highly organized and knowing exactly what needs to be done and when it needs to be done by is that you know when you're going to have some busy days. And this particular week, my week had been hijacked by a couple of other events and I got to that Thursday and I knew I had essentially three days worth of work to do but only one day to do it because the Thursday would be taken up talking to my team and doing the things that frankly make the difference in the business. But I knew I had these three days of work to do. And I think that's why I was annoyed. So what I decided to do was in between my meetings with my staff, I'd sort of lock myself away in the office and I would try and get some of those things done so that it wouldn't impact too much on my Friday. And the thing that sticks in my mind most about that very angry Thursday is just how much I got done. I mean, I was like, 
like a machine that day. I was just doing thing after thing after thing. If I had a meeting and we did the meeting in 15 minutes and I had 15 minutes spare, I would get an hour's worth of stuff done in that 15 minutes. In fact, as I'm talking about it, I'm thinking that maybe I had some kind of immovable deadline. Maybe there was a holiday coming up on Saturday or something like that. There was something that was driving me. I mean, really, really driving me that day. And you must have had days like this as well. If you think back about your days at work. And in fact, when a holiday is coming up, that can be an incredibly, incredibly productive time to drive you forward. Anyway, I had that day, I was being very productive and I was busy, 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 busy. And I remember coming out into the main office at lunchtime at a pace. I mean, I was literally physically walking fast. I was doing everything fast that day. And as I walked into the office, it was almost like I hit a brick wall because the attitude and atmosphere in the office was, it was actually kind of normal, but it felt to me very, very slow. And it felt like everyone was slacking. And I kind of walked in and instantly got a bit annoyed and was like, right, what's everyone doing? What are you doing? What's going on here? What's happening with this project? And basically I was a, a complete idiot of a boss. I was the worst kind of boss, just for a minute or so, the worst kind of boss that you could have. I was that boss that comes in, gets angry for no reason, barks out orders, issues instructions, interferes with what you're doing. Oh, I look back now and I'm actually cringing. As much as I'm laughing, as I look back, I'm also cringing because that was just a terrible five minutes. But the thing was, I was really busy. And in my mind, that meant that everyone was really busy. The reality is they weren't. They were just getting on with their work. And I had a, a pretty good team back then. Yeah, there were some that I'd never hire again, but I had a pretty good team and I'm working with some of them again now in this business. And I had perceived that when I was busy, they were busy too. This is what we do as business owners. We always perceive that whatever is happening to us is happening to other people as well. If you're feeling a bit down right now, perhaps because the business isn't doing so well, or you're feeling elated because the business is doing well, or you're frustrated, or you're angry, or you're ecstatic, or whatever emotional state you're in, it's not fair, and it's certainly not true to assume that all of your staff are in the same emotional state. They don't have the information that you have. They don't have the same commitment to the business that you have. They are not you. Your staff are not celebrating and commiserating when you are. They don't get the huge highs and lows that you do because it's not their business. It's just a job to them. Even to your closest, closest colleagues, the ones that you trust day in, day out, unless they have significant skin in the game, they are not as emotionally affected by what's happening as you are. It's one of the hardest things for us as business owners and managers to realize that other people are feeling different things. In fact, it's a key core skill, the ability to be empathetic to someone else, to what they're thinking and what they're feeling and realizing that it's completely different to us. We're very focused, aren't we? We know exactly what we want to do with the business. We know how we want to do it. We know when we want it to be done and we just want to get on with it. And that's not them. They're living completely different lives. They just want to get home at six o'clock tonight to go and kill lots of bad guys in Call of Duty or whatever the current big trendy video game is. You know, it's not just our staff that we need to emphasize with. It's the same with our leads and our prospects. Something you may have heard me say on this podcast before is that to influence what John Smith buys, you've got to look through John Smith's eyes. 
Now that counts for staff, it counts for clients, and it counts for leads and prospects as well. If you wanna influence them, you've gotta look through their eyes. Whatever emotional state you're in right now, they are not in that emotional state. You've got to move yourself to the emotional state that they're in. If someone's looking at you and thinking of buying from your MSP, what are their emotions? What are they afraid of? What do they want? What do they need? What's the worst thing that could happen to them? What's the best thing that could happen to them? What would put them at ease? What would make them feel more comfortable? If you can answer all of these, and they'll be slightly different for all prospects and leads. There are some similarities, but people do give away clues about how they're thinking and feeling. If you can get yourself into that mindset with them, oh, what a difference you can make. What a tremendous difference you can make to your own marketing and the way that you just generally deal with people, be that partners, be that vendors, be that staff, be that anyone. The ability to empathize with where someone else is emotionally right now is an absolutely core skill for influencing them and ultimately getting you closer to your goals. Here's this week's clever idea. A couple of minutes ago, I mentioned doing one-to-ones with my team. And these were typically 15 to 20 minute meetings that I would have with them around about once a month, for some people once a fortnight, depending on how much they needed them. And if you're not doing one-to-ones with your team right now, oh, how much can I recommend one-to-ones? One-to-ones can change everything, absolutely everything. I first started doing them more than 20 years ago when I was running a couple of radio stations and I found it a pretty essential way to keep in touch with my key people, the people that actually made the biggest difference to us hitting the goals that we needed to hit. Now, one-to-one doesn't have to be a formal thing. In fact, I think it's better when it's not formal. I'm not talking here about an appraisal where they do a bit of paperwork and you do a bit of paperwork or one of those 360 or 180 appraisals or whatever they call them where you get your, your boss above you and someone below you to appra- I'm sure all those have value. I'm, I'm sure they do. But most of them, they feel like tools that big businesses use. In very, very big businesses, they use appraisals as a kind of a control mechanism and as a way for the people at the top to know that the people at the bottom are doing what they're supposed to be doing. I find that informal one-to-ones are a lot more useful. And let me tell you the format that I've been using for one-to-ones for years and years and years now. It's a very simple format. And actually, it's a framework more than anything else. If you do this well, your people, the people that you do one-to-ones with, won't even notice that there is a framework in place. They might feel that there's some structure to the meeting, but they won't necessarily look at it as a framework. So first of all, we must talk about getting the environment right for a one-to-one. I really think that Zoom is the worst possible way to do a one-to-one. One-to-ones are so much better done face-to-face. Okay, you might need to socially distant these days and sit either ends of a room, but that is better than doing it over a video call. It really is. I've done only a few, only a handful of one-to-ones over Zoom, and you, you kind of miss out on the, the little clues. I mean, it's, it's, this is the problem with Zoom overall, isn't it? You miss out on those t- tiny little things that you pick up on when you're sat face to face with someone. So one-to-ones over Zoom can be done, but I really don't think you're going to excel at them until you can do them face to face in some way. And when you do do them face to face, they need to be done somewhere where you can't be interrupted. Maybe that would be your office right now. Uh, In normal times, I would suggest going out to a hotel or a coffee shop or somewhere, hire a business room somewhere, somewhere where you can't be interrupted 
And ideally where both you and the person that you're doing a one-to-one with is away from their normal environment. You know, if you normally sit in your office, that's your normal environment. And in fact, coming into your office might be a slightly intimidating thing for the person that you're doing a one-to-one with. So getting away from the normal environment when you can is a very sensible thing to do. So the format for the one-to-one, the framework for your meeting is very, very simple. It starts with a question, what's gone well? Or if this is someone that you've previously met with, you might say, since we last met, what's gone well? Now notice there, we're not saying, what have you done well? Or anything like that. It's a deliberately open question, what's gone well? You see, you want that person to tell you what's on their mind right now about what they're enjoying, what's going well within the business. Some of them will talk about their own performance. Some of them will talk about their colleagues' performance, maybe even your performance, something to do with clients. It almost doesn't matter what it is they talk about. It's a forum for them to sit down with mummy or daddy. That's you, by the way. The boss is always the parent, mummy or daddy. It's a chance for them to sit down with mummy or daddy and talk about something they are pleased with right now. What's gone well? But here's the thing. You need to have something as well because this isn't a one-way thing. A one-to-one is not a one-way conversation. It's a two-way conversation. You need to give stuff back as well. So when they've told you something that they think is going well, then you tell them something that you think is going well. And in an ideal world, that would be something that relates to them, to their performance, to some improvement that they've made. A chance for a bit of mummy or daddy praise. Because we do not praise our staff nearly enough. You cannot say thank you or, hey, you've done a good job. You cannot say that too many times. You really can't. So they've said something that's gone well. You've said something that's gone well. Now let's get on to the things that we need to fix. Because the follow-up question is, what's not gone so well? And again, this is a deliberately open question, leaving it for them to talk about the thing that's on their mind. Sometimes your team will start to talk about the things that they've screwed up or not done particularly well at since you last met. Sometimes they'll talk about other people within the business and sometimes that'll be valuable. Other times it'll just be them having a whinge. Sometimes they'll talk about a process or a system or something like that. It's all valuable. It's on their mind. It's things that you're trying to get out of them. And in fact, the longer you do these one-to-ones, the more they'll come to trust you and the more real things they'll bring to the table. What's not gone so well? Well, I'll tell you something I want to talk about. That's exactly what we're after. We're after that genuine feedback. And again, you need need to give something that you don't think has gone well. Now, you probably have, for many of your staff, a whole long list of things that they're not doing quite as well as you'd want them to do. The challenge to you is not to hit them with those 64 items in their first one-to-one, because you will essentially put them off wanting to come back to work ever again, certainly having a one-to-one ever again. If you have got a long list of things, introduce one thing per one-to-one. Their not-so-good feedback and your not-so-good feedback should ideally be just one item each. So let's recap where we are. They've talked about something that's gone well, and so have you. They've talked about something that hasn't gone so well, and so have you. And you've had a bit of a discussion about that. And now it leads on to the final question. And the final question is, what should you do differently before we meet next time? Now, this is not an open question. We are now drilling this right down to them and their performance. What should you do differently next time? 
And it should be pretty obvious based on the things that you've talked about in the previous 10-15 minutes what that thing should be. And I would highly recommend that you get them to write that down and you say to them, right, when you get back to your desk, first thing you do, please can you email that to me? Because the biggest challenge in a one-to-one -one is actually making the link between them declaring something that they should be changing and them taking action. Because it's all about action, isn't it? If they don't take action, there's no point. There's almost no point in you having had the meeting. So I would get them to email it to you. And then when you start that next meeting, just before you start that format, that framework, I would say to them, what was it that you were working on from last time? And do be prepared to be frustrated. And I mean really frustrated when most of your staff don't know what it is that they're supposed to have been working on since your last one-to-one. -one. That will only happen a couple of times because they'll feel a bit stupid when they can't tell you what they were supposed to be working on, but you can, and they won't make that mistake again. So let's just recap that format and look at the power of it. You start by asking them what it is they were working on from last time, what's gone well, what hasn't gone so well, and what should you do differently next time? Now, one-to-ones have an amazing effect on all sorts of staff. On your very best staff, they help them to get even better. They give them that parental time that they're so desperate for. They give them the feedback that they've been craving almost every week that they've been at work. Because here's the thing, with our best staff, it's ever so easy to just leave them to it, to just kind of ignore them because they're doing a great job. And we do tend to focus far too much of our attention on the people who aren't doing a great job, don't we? It's just human nature to do that. So so this is a great opportunity to give them some of your valuable time and they will get better and better and better. I promise you they will. Good staff take one-to-ones and they lap them up. They love every second of them. So what about your not so good staff, your bad staff? Well, I think one-to-ones will ultimately fix them or fire them. And by fix them, I mean, and it may take some time, but you will slowly start to improve their performance. We cannot change someone's mindset at all. That is impossible. The only person that can change someone's mindset is themselves. But what we can do is work on their skills. We can identify training needs. We can identify proper coaching needs or the need for them to have a mentor or the need for them to work in a different way. And ultimately, if you keep on with these one-to-ones, your worst staff will either get better or they will opt out. They will leave. And you should never be scared of bad staff leaving. In fact, I believe that you should be scared of bad staff staying. Now, there's a finite number of one-to-ones that any one person can do, and that's around about six to seven. At one point, I was trying to do one-to-ones with all 15 of my staff, and I ended up hating the one-to-ones, and we ended up stopping them for several months because of it. So when I started again, I actually just then did the core three or four people that made the biggest difference. Well, the core three or four people and the kind of the, the trouble child, those were the people that I did my monthly one-to-ones with. I would get started, if I was you, with one or two people. People. Pick out your best person and your worst person and just say to your team, come up with some excuse of why it's just those people. Perhaps say it's just a, it's just a random thing. You just like to experiment. You can't do the four or five a month that you'd like to right now just because it's, it's, it is time consuming and it is wearing. It's energy sapping in a way. But just start with your best person and your worst person. Have a go. Start those monthly one-to-ones and see what happens. You don't get results in month one. You get results in month three, four, five, and six. In fact, some people do one-to-ones weekly. Personally, I find that to be quite overkill, but some people do them weekly or every two weeks. You could do that if you've got the time and space to do that. If not, a monthly commitment can work very, very well. Paul's blatant plug.
You're looking to grow your business this year, to get more new clients, to improve your monthly recurring revenue, and of course, to improve the amount of take-home profit you have, the amount of profit that's yours to take out of the business. We cover all these topics and more in a free Facebook group which you are invited to join. It's the MSP Marketing Facebook group, and already more than 1,100 MSPs are members. If you just go into your Facebook app, go into the search bar at the top, type in MSP Marketing, and then go on to Groups. And all being well, you should see my photo right at the top of the page. Tap on my photo. We ask you for just a few details to join so we can check you are an MSP. You see, this is a vendor-free zone. Vendors are not welcome here at all. It's only for MSPs. I'm in the group every single day of the week, and I'd love to chat to you in that forum. Come and join the MSP Marketing Facebook group. It's becoming one of the biggest free resources online for MSPs to talk about their marketing and their business growth. The Big Interview. Hi, I'm Manuel Borowski, and I'm the founder and CEO of Timeler. And let me say how excited I am to have you on the podcast, Manuel, because uh, if, you, <laughs> if you can hear, and this is a sound which you will be personally very familiar with, but have a listen to this sound. Oh, yeah, I know that yeah. one. <laughs> you, you know that sound. So that sound yeah. is the sound of me moving my time miller. And uh, it's something that I've talked about in the podcast before. I've recommended it to virtually every MSP that I've spoken to since I discovered it uh, last year, just after the beginning of the first lockdown. Manuel, tell us what time miller is. Timeliner is a tool which helps you to become aware how you're spending your time to understand where it's going to find opportunities to improve and then monitoring your improvement. And how we do that is like we have two very simple ways to track your time. One is the one that you have just heard by Paul, which is our physical tracker. It's an eight-sided dice, which you can assign an activity to every side connected by a Bluetooth to your computer or mobile phone. You just flip it to what you're currently working on, getting a call for this client, you flip it to this side, getting an email for that client, you flip it to these others. And so in a very playful and fun way, you can track your time very accurately. And if you don't like, or if you don't like physical devices and nice gadgets uh, and prefer to have something digital or, be, or if you are moving around a lot, you have our global shortcut, command E or control E on Windows Linux where you can start tracking out from any app with just one shortcut. So with those two very simple methods, you can track your time in real time, which is much, much more reliable than actually guessing what you have done at the end of the week. So what we have seen is on average, people, when they are guessing, they are kind of guessing four, five entries per day. But with Timeler, they have 12 to 20 entries per day which actually is what reality kind of feels like because just in the first hour in the day, you have already done four different things. And I think that's the that's the inherent power of Timeula. I mean, I got it, as I say, it was around about March, maybe April, May time last year. And I was busy. I felt busier than I'd been for a long time because I was working from home. I was sort of you know, trapped in the house with lockdown, but I, I couldn't put my finger on what it was. And it was only when I got the, the Timeula that I was able to figure out that I was spending more time doing menial work you know, emails, yeah. messaging, stuff that really didn't grow the business. And it directly yeah. led on to me uh, hiring a couple of virtual assistants to do that stuff for me. So thank you, Manuel. Your, your device helped me to get back some of my life. I think the thing that has made the biggest difference is the fact that it, it's got a physical element to it. And my friend, it was my friend Ed who, who sent me a video of him using his timula. And, and I've done exactly the same thing of, of me showing other people. How did you come up with the idea of having the, the physical tracker? Oh, yeah, that was a long time ago, so five years ago. 
um, I was freelancing and I was like billing every minute basically. And every Friday, the same story. I was like, oh crap, I didn't fill in my timesheet immediately. Now, what have I done this week? You go to email, you go to your calendar, you kind of try to reconstruct your week, but obviously you know you can't recall everything and then you end up not being able to build every minute and kind of losing money. And I was always very time efficient and managing my time a lot. So I tried basically everything. Why are in those very simple apps where you just click one button not enough? Thinking about that, I kind of realized, okay, I need either a big red button where I just can hammer on it or maybe something slightly smarter, uh, a cube that I just can turn. And this is how the idea came up with. What I didn't realize back then is that there is a much bigger need, not just becoming aware of how you're spending your time, but actually how can I improve it? And this is something that we are working a lot on time and earth right now. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, most of the MSPs that I work with have a real issue with the proactive things that they want to be working on being interrupted by the reactive stuff. I mean, it's the very nature of running an IT support company that problems come in and you have to deal with those. So is that something that an app and a device like Timula would help you to manage to be aware of when you're being interrupted? And what kind of analysis would you provide for that? Exactly. And you make a really good point there, Paul. Um, it's like you have to deal with this reality. Like sometimes you can't change it, but just becoming aware how reality actually is a huge step forward because our perception of time is distorted by our emotions. So one hour of something fun can feel like 10 minutes and one hour of something boring can feel like an eternity. And therefore, it's very important to measure your time. And what we, a timer, then enable you by giving you this very simple method to track your time is you actually see how much reactive time is there for real. And just getting a number for that will help you to kind of realize, oh, actually, it's worse or better than I thought. Usually worse, unfortunately. But just having this number can enable a conversation. So with our analytics, you kind of see, okay, what is this reactive work? When is it a certain time of the day? Is it a, a certain day of the week? Or is it a certain activity, which is always reactive? Is it a certain person? And having this data can allow you to start a conversation based on facts, not just your thoughts, which usually leads then to a potential outcome and improvement. So as you were speaking there, I've just um, opened the Timular app on my iPhone. And uh, already this yeah. week, I've worked uh, 19 hours and 48 minutes. Uh, I've got 49 time entries, uh, an average yeah. uh, logging of, of two hours and 50 minutes a day. That's 53 short, 53% is short entries, 14% uh, long entries, and 33% medium entries. So I can see, yeah. for example, I've spent 10 hours and 13 minutes on tasks which to me uh, yeah. is, is, a, is an activity I want to reduce. I spent two hours and 35 minutes on email and messaging, uh, two hours, 31 minutes on creating content and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the interesting question, Manuel, because there's some, there's some awesome stats in there and it's fun to look at them, but how would I now use that to improve what I do with my working day to, to do more of the things that I want to do? It all starts with the main question, like what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to get more out of? Like, are you trying to work less? Are you trying to build more time? Are you trying to have more proactive time? And then it, it goes on like, for what? And then it's kind of like, okay, looking at this is uh, where can I get this time from? So this is a lot about improving what you do. If you want to improve how you work, then you should be looking at those stats that you just mentioned. Like, are there many short entries? So short entries is everything below 15 minutes. You should try to block maybe time for 
projects. So you can get like more medium entries and long entries, which kind of means like you have some time to focus on, get something done. It takes us 23 minutes to actually be fully focused on something and be in the flow. So you kind of know that just working 10 minutes on something doesn't really allow us to produce quality work. That makes perfect sense. Okay, final question for you. Obviously, you literally invented this, uh, the, the, the physical time tracker. Yeah. And I assume you still use one yourself, do you? Yes, although recently I started to use the shortcut a lot because I'm just like, my background is I'm being a developer, so I love shortcuts. Um, and yeah, this global shortcut is very handy. It's called Quick Track. And where, where is this global shortcut? Explain that to us. If you hit Command E or Control E while you have the desktop app open or installed on your computer, you can track time out from any app. So for example, let's say you are just in your Outlook, you're answering emails, you recall, oh, I forgot to start a tracking. You just hit Command E and then comes a little timeline window where you just can enter what you want to track and it starts tracking. It's kind of like the digital version of the tracker. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So give us your uh, top advice of things that we can do to get more out of our time tracking, whether we're using Timula or one of one of its competitors. What are the things that we should be doing to absolutely max out our, our use of this and be more productive? So my main advice would always be start with being clear what you're actually trying to achieve. What is it what you want to optimize and, and look at that data first. So 20% of our time is spent to create 80% of our outcomes and 80% of our time is spent on creating those 20% results. And you see that there is huge potential to actually improve those 80% time spent on 20% of the results. And I would look at those big buckets first. That's great advice. Thank you. How many timulas have you sold now, Manuel? Oh, over 60,000. That's very impressive. It really is. Tell us where we can go and learn more about it and go and buy one for ourselves. Just head over to timeler.com. We have all the information there and videos and different use cases and all possible success stories, which kind of inspire you how you can use Timeler in many different ways and check it out yourself. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. My name is Andrew Wallace, and I'm the Managing Director and Chief Product Officer of Smileback, which is a customer satisfaction system for managed service providers. My book recommendation is The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Josh Waitzkin is the subject of a movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, he was the youngest chess grandmaster uh, in history. Then by the time he was 30, he was also a two-time Tai Chi push hands uh, champion. And his book is about an approach to learning that takes a much more, I would say, relaxed approach to learning, a much different approach to what you see in a lot of business and learning philosophy and I think it's a fascinating book for anybody who is curious in creative and alternative approaches to how to learn the most efficiently, the fastest, and the most effectively. And so it can be applied to business, but also to personal development and almost anything somebody wants to do. How to contribute to the show. If you've got a book suggestion, or you just want to talk to me about something you've heard on the show, why not drop me an email? And yes, it is the real me at the other end. The address is hello at paulgreens.com.
mspmarketing.com. Coming up next week. Lots of people sort of let the day run away from them because they're pummeled with distractions that they haven't planned for. That's Barnaby Lashbrook, and he's the founder of Time Etc., an agency that will hire you a virtual assistant. He's going to be here on the show next week as part of our continuing series right throughout February, interviewing productivity experts. We're also going to be talking next week about why you must have a financial forecast for your business this year. In fact, we'll be looking at all the kind of financial information that you really should be getting back from your accountant at the very least on a monthly basis. And if you are desperate for a new client right now, got a very simple thing for you to do to reactivate some old prospects. You won't believe how simple it is and all it requires is 10 to 20 minutes of your time flicking through some emails and picking up the phone. I'll reveal all to you in next week's podcast. See you then. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.